for listening to this message from the Altar Fellowship. Oh, thank you. You can be seated. <clears throat> thank you for being here this morning. And what a, an awesome time of worship. Uh, yeah, there's something really beautiful, I think, of, uh, about being able to see um, our kids get comfortable in, in worship. I, I uh, you know, I, I was talking to, uh, to my kids this week and I said, you know, I didn't, I didn't worship God when I was your age. We would stand in the crowd and other people would sing songs about him, but we didn't worship him. We didn't pray for him. And we, I was talking about, uh, um, the Israelites and how for generations and generations, they'd all been born and raised in slavery. And I said, you know, our prayer and what we're doing at the altar fellowship is to make sure that our kids don't know the slavery that we were raised in. Some of us were raised in slavery to sin. Some of us were raised in slavery to religion. But our kids are going to know freedom from the time they're little. And um, what a great privilege that it is to, um, to be able to, to cultivate and invest into the freedom that our children are, are going to take for granted. I look forward to that. Amen. <laughs> I look forward to that. Um, and so uh, thank you for, uh, for being here this morning. I am... Uh, thrilled to, to, to discover all that the Father has for us today. You know, I, I shared on Wednesday, for those of you that were here, uh, I, I shared, you know, I've been talking these last seven weeks about immersion, and I think, I think if I'm honest, I've been saying immersion, and God's been thinking adoption. And this has been, for me, a, a shift that, that what, what maybe looks like immersion to, from, from our perspective, I think looks like adoption to God. And, and here's what I mean. You've heard me say the last two or three weeks in a row that, uh, that immersion, when I hear immersion, what I think is uh, two things. It's cultural immersion. That's the way you become familiar with the new culture is you dive into it, right? That looks like adoption. You, you dive into a new culture, a new family culture, right? Well, in my, you know, in my old house, we didn't have to uh, pick up our socks off the floor in the living room. It's like, well, in Mama Candace's house, you better, right? You're gonna get, you're gonna get whooped with a, with a WH at the beginning of it. It's not gonna be good. It's not gonna be good for you, right? Uh, you know, my when when I grew up, you didn't have to say yes, ma'am, no, ma'am, yes, sir, no, sir to adults in our house. It's a, you might get strung up by your toes if you don't. And, uh, and so, you know, adoption, coming into a family, it, it looks a lot like cultural immersion, right? But then there's immersion therapy is what I talked about the last couple of weeks that we, uh, sometimes by uh, confronting the things we've been afraid of, we can, we can learn that our fears have been unfounded. And the truth is when it comes to adoption, I think that, um, it, that, it, that it's a lot more like immersion therapy than we we may recognize. I think that even for many of you, it's been interesting for me as you have come into this community, as you've come under my care, having been, uh, uh, having been maybe hurt or wounded or disappointed or frustrated or offended or just let down by the church in the past that, you know, a, a lot of times I'm sort of dealing with some unfounded fears that people have because they're in this family, but families hurt them in the past. You know, they come into this church, but church has hurt them in the past. And so, you know, they're confronting some of the unfounded fears that they, they have. Some of you have been confronting some of the unfounded fears that you've had. And, uh, and it, it hasn't, you haven't been, hopefully you haven't been hurt or you haven't been wounded by this place, but, but there's still that sort of trauma response that you have from the disappointments of your past. Is that relatable to anybody that's, I think that's been a story of, of, of healing. We love you guys. We're so glad you're here. <laughs> uh, I think there's been a story of, of healing and hope that, that has come to, to many people. And, uh, and so for us, the, the truth is, I think we've been saying immersion and what God has been thinking is adoption. And so on Wednesday, uh, I talked about the, the spirit of adoption, what, 
what the book of Romans calls the, the spirit of adoption, which is the, the Holy Spirit by whom the Bible says we cry out, Abba, Father, that the spirit continually reminds us, bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And, uh, and we talked about this, this attribute, this facet of what spirit-filled living really looks like. You know, tragically, we have diminished the reality of a spirit-filled life to be one where you talk in tongues and people wave flags during worship. What an insult to the, the actual power and the actual accomplishments of the life of the believer of, of the Holy Spirit. John 16, Jesus teaches about the ministry of the Holy Spirit, and he says the Spirit will convict the world of sin, righteousness, and coming judgment. And then he says the Spirit will lead you into all truth, and it will remind you of everything that I taught. The Holy Spirit, he says in, in Acts chapter 1, will, will give you will bring power when it comes upon you. Because of the Holy Spirit's effect in your life, you'll be witnesses to Jesus, the, the resurrected king in Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria, to the ends of the earth. The, the Holy Spirit's called the helper. The Holy Spirit's called the comforter. The Holy Spirit's called the counselor. And yet in, um, in our sort of modern Pentecostal preaching, we forget all too often that the Holy Spirit, one of the uh, ministries of the Holy Spirit is to to testify to our soul that we are children of God. To produce a people persuaded of their own adoption. And a people persuaded of their own adoption will be free from the concern that the world may have with the opinions and the priorities of a fallen system. And so let's thank God. Let's yield to the working of the Holy Spirit that what the Spirit of God does in the life of the believer, among other things, is to produce a people persuaded of their own adoption, a, a people who are free from the false opinions and identifications of the world, people who aren't concerned about measuring up to the world's standards, people who aren't consumed about the the world's priorities or ambitions, people who are in every way settled in the fact that they know they're accepted and they don't need more likes on social media to convince themselves of it. Man, that's good news, isn't it? <laughs> and so today on Mother's Day, I, uh, I need to tell you, um, uh, I, I think... I think we need to further explore this idea of, of adoption, of acceptance, of the ministry of God that is demonstrated so clearly and profoundly in our, our mothers. You know, uh, John Wesley, I, I wrote it down, the great theologian, author, hymn writer, John Wesley once said, famously, he said, I learned more about Christianity from my mother than from all the theologians in England. And so, mothers, if you ever feel like your, your job is thankless or fruitless, you should know that there is a generation coming that will rise and call you blessed. Because while everyone else is trying to teach your child who they should be or what they should do, you get the unique privilege to show them. See, the thing about, the thing that I think John Wesley discovered is that you can read books and listen to sermons by people that may have good things to say, but Christian character is only a theory until it's put into practice. And in 2023, we have way too many theories and way too little practice. And so the ministry of a mother, I think, cannot be diminished, the, the significance and the sacred importance of the ministry of motherhood, I think cannot be diminished in its, its wit or its worthiness to be honored. I think there's something so beautiful and, and holy about what a mother is and what a mother does. And I want you to know that even in the days when no one's thanking you, even in the days when it seems unimportant, insignificant, when you feel invisible or overlooked, you should know that. What, what you are doing is you are demonstrating Christ to a generation of people who 
who are gonna have to know what he looks like if they're gonna see him through the fog of the world. And so, uh, you know, I wanna tell you about my wife, the mother of my children. What an unbelievable, incredible woman. (laughs) You know, when I met her, she um, was just finishing uh, a year of living in her grandmother's house. And if you had seen her grandmother's house, you would know that was not a comfortable year for her. Um, It's a house that her grandfather had built with his own two hands. And that sounds noble, but you should know he was not a builder. <laughs> and so, uh, it, I don't know if it was noble or cheap, but he, he built this house with his own hands and then he died. And so she lived in it with her, with her, her dog, maybe more like a rat named Jenny. And, uh, and it was, uh, uh, you know, covered in fleas and Jenny had a bad attitude and, and her, her grandmother, she, it's funny because to me, and I was a total stranger, she had dementia, so she, uh, she didn't know who was who, but every time I'd come up to the house, you know, I'd bring flowers or something, a gift, and she would just be so happy to see me and let me right into the house, and I was like, this lady has no clue. She, you know, she got dementia and forgot to be racist. It was, it was honestly, <laughs> it was great. <laughs> and uh, <it's laughs> so we got to spend... <laughs> We got to spend time together, and, and I got to know her a little bit in the first, uh, first couple years of our marriage before, uh, before she passed away, but she, um, she was a, a sweet lady to me. She was not a sweet lady to Candace. They, uh, when they lived together, you know, she would wake up, and there'd just be a person in her house, you know, her, her granddaughter, and she'd be angry and threaten Candace and cuss at her and chase her around the house with her walker and all this stuff. Candace tells stories about being asleep in the house and waking up to her grandmother just standing over her which is like, you know, she still has nightmares about it today. Yeah, it's terrifying. <laughs> and, uh, and she just, this is one of the things that I loved the most uh, about this girl, Candace, I had, had met is that she, she loved her family and she cared for her family. I saw the character of Christ in the way that Miss Candace took care of her grandmother and, and honored her as she was coming nearer and nearer to the end of her road. And then about a year later, uh, her mother Candace's mother, um, who'd had a brain, a tumor in her brain for about 15 years at this point, she had a surgery that um, uh, that that took her mobility, it took her ability to to focus, it it took a lot from her, and so her mother had. Uh, when uh, I don't know if you know this part of of Miss Candace's story, but she, when she was five years old, her mom had a a massive seizure, and they took her to the hospital and found out she had a, a brain tumor the size of a baseball. Um, and so she had surgeries then and, and sort of all throughout Candace's childhood. And uh, her, her mother uh, lost, at, when Candace was five years old, lost the ability to drive or work. And so she was just in the house all throughout Candace's childhood. And, and you know, the interesting thing after she um, passed away, we uh, were going through her things and we found this prayer journal that she had and, and we found a, a prayer that she prayed, a note that she wrote to the Lord back in like 1992, 1993 and she said, Lord, just let me live long enough to see Candace grown up and, and, uh, and married. And, uh, and so she, she got to come to our wedding and um, I got to know her over our first year together and, and um, just an incredible woman and I could tell you stories for hours and hours about her faithful love of her family. And she couldn't, there wasn't much that she could do physically. But, you know, I, I was, uh, when we were preparing for our wedding, I spent a couple months living in, uh, in their house. And Candace was working as a banker at the time. And I, I would just sort of run around and do errands. I was a band guy. So that meant I lived in my fiance's basement. <laughs> and I'd be hanging out in the basement during the day. And I would see, uh, you know, I'd hear the door open and Candace's, here comes Candace's mom, she can't walk down the stairs, but she can sort of bump down them on her booty. And so she's, she's just like, boop, boop, boop down the stairs. And she's got a laundry basket on her lap because the laundry needed to be done. And, and uh, she couldn't walk down the stairs, but she would slide on her butt down the stairs to make sure that the laundry got done during the day. And uh, every morning I'd wake up to the sound of her sweeping the kitchen floor after their cats would you know, use the bathroom 
in the kitty litter box and uh, fling litter all over the floor. And so she'd come around and fuss at the cats and sweep up the floor, you know, aggressively and angrily every morning. That's how she started her day. <laughs> and uh, she took a, a turn for the worse and uh, it must have been 2009. And, um, and so Candace, who was traveling with me uh, at the time, she said, I'm gonna go home and take care of my mom just like I did my grandma. And so she did. Um, and she stayed in the house and she made sure that her mom got to her appointments and she, you know, Candace did the laundry. She made the, the meals. She helped her mom, helped bathe her mom, helped make sure that she took her medicine um, and, uh, and, and loved her mom and, and held her every step of the way as, as she came to the finish line of her life. And so twice I've watched my wife um, honor the mothers in her life uh, by the way that she loved and served and, uh, and supported them in some of the most difficult and darkest times of their life. And, and every time I've just been amazed at her character and, uh, and her strength to be able to endure what would break most people. Um, and uh, and I have, I'm more convinced now after having known her for 15 years that there's nobody in the world I'd rather have raising my children than the kind of woman that can carry the burdens that she's carried through the years so faithfully and... and uh, Gloriously, and so uh, before I get on with any teaching, I just want to take a, a moment to honor you, my best friend, <laughs> the most amazing mother I've ever seen, and uh, I'm so grateful for the example that you set in your ministry to me and our little boys. You're an amazing woman. And, uh, and you know, now the, the burden that she bears is everything y'all do wrong because I come home and complain about y'all to her. <laughs> and so, uh, you know, every time I'm frustrated and overwhelmed, she's the one that calls me back to, to center. And uh, I'm so grateful for you. Love you. Um, you know, I, uh, I'm going to teach today about about. Uh, Mary. Um, and I'm going to teach about Mary today because not just because when you think about uh, how am I going to teach about mothers from the Bible, Mary's probably at the top of your list. <laughs> but I'm going to teach today about Mary because there's this, this issue that we have in the Protestant church is that we've seen Catholics inappropriately uh, venerate Mary. They um, they honor Mary to the point of bad theology and idolatry. And so what we do is we make sure that we don't fall into that hole by ignoring Mary entirely. <laughs> and, I, and I don't think that that is helpful because God still chose her and she still chose God. And so whether you are a man or a woman, whether you're a husband or a father uh, or, a, or, or a, a son or a, a wife, a mother, a daughter, the example that Mary sets is, is critical for us. It's glorious. It's, it's wonderful. And so I think if, if we can look at the yes of Mary, you know, I, I have gone in my life, I've gone to two different Catholic schools. And, and one of the questions that I asked was, how come y'all like Mary so much? And one of my theology teachers, the Catholic theology teacher, her answer, and I think this is really beautiful, she said, we don't worship Mary, we honor Mary's yes to the Lord. And, and I, I would probably actually disagree with the assessment we don't worship Mary, but I will say that her yes to the Lord is honorable. It is. And her willingness to say, Lord, I want to be used by you. No matter what it does to my reputation, no matter what it does to my body, no matter what it does to my future, you have my unconditional yes. That is what we all should aspire to. And so, um, 
I want to look at, at Mary. Now, now one of the, uh, you've probably heard the phrase immaculate conception. You know, you see uh, Catholic churches and Catholic, Catholic doctrine, they talk about the immaculate conception. There's, you know, the church of the immaculate conception. The problem with, so the, the doctrine of the immaculate conception, Protestants think, and unfortunately, actually, a lot of Catholics think, immaculate conception is the, 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 uh, the conception of Jesus within Mary, that, um, that Jesus was conceived super, supernaturally, and that's the immaculate conception. Uh, that is incorrect. The doctrine of the immaculate conception, according to the Catholic Church, is the idea that Mary was born without original sin, and therefore was qualified uh, to carry the Son of God in her womb. And the reason that that is wrong, well, I'll give you a couple reasons today why that's, that's wrong. Mary in her, in Mary's Magnificat, it, it says in, in uh, uh, Luke 1, 47, she says, my, my spirit has rejoiced to, uh, in God, my Savior. So, you know, if Mary was born without original sin, she wouldn't need a Savior, Right? But, but the reason it's important we understand that the Catholic doctrine of the Immaculate Conception is incorrect is, is because it's kind of important that we understand God is willing to use sinful people. The idea that Mary was somehow more qualified to be used by God or to carry Jesus into the earth because she was born without original sin, it removes from us the ability to build faith in God's willingness to work with imperfect people. God is willing to work with imperfect people. And so he picks Mary, who is in every way a regular girl. And it's important that we understand and believe that Mary is in every way a regular girl. The only thing significant about her is that when God asked, she said yes. That's what set her apart. And it's something that, ev- that can set every one of us apart. That when God calls, we answer. Here I am, send me. See, this is the only thing that makes Mary significant. It's really important that we understand that she's not special. She, she doesn't have some inside track into the favor of the Lord that she simply said yes. And so God picks this normal girl. I'm gonna go to Luke chapter one. I'm gonna start in, in verse 26. Luke 1, 26. I'll just sort of read through and we'll just pull some things out. It says, uh, now in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent by God to a city of Galilee called Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. The virgin's name was Mary. And, and having, oh, we're not in a hurry, are we? We gotta make sure, we gotta wait till the Baptists are done with lunch so you can, so you can get your wife in for Mother's Day. So we, we I have to preach for a long time today. <laughs> to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. This is, I think, a really beautiful um, truth here is that uh, this story teaches us uh, that, that Jesus is uh, a descendant of David by adoption only because Mary is not from the house of David. Joseph is from the house of David. Now, Joseph being from the house of David, he uh, was not the father of Jesus, not the biological father of Jesus. Now, Joseph's yes to the Lord, his, his willingness to, to receive Jesus as his son and thereby to give Jesus access, legal access to the inheritance that Joseph had claimed to, made it so that Jesus could inherit the throne of David as the prophecies regarding the Messiah had foretold. And I think there's something so glorious about the fact that Jesus would be an adopted child into the line of David. And, uh, you know, we've been talking about immersion and I think what God has been thinking is adoption. See, I I know that there are some of you who feel like you know, man, I don't deserve to be used by God. Uh, the family, after the family I was raised in, you know, the upbringing that I had, I'm, I'm still broken and needy. You know, I'm, I'm still, I'm still poor and and uh, and in lack. I'm 
still in every way, you know what, I'm, I'm hurt and I'm wounded and I still carry the trauma of my youth with me. I want you to know that you have been, the day that you put your faith in Christ, you've been adopted into a new family. And that new family carries with it a new inheritance. And so what you thought you deserved because of what your last name was and what color hair you had growing up, what you thought you deserved is no longer what you have access to. What you have access to, Callie, what you have access to is the blessing and the kindness and the goodness of God, not because you've earned it, but because Jesus paid the price for you to have access to it. You're a part of a new family with a new DNA and a new destiny. And this is what Jesus models for us here, is that he has a claim to the throne of David through Joseph, but he's, he's only related to Joseph by way of adoption. God honors adoption. In fact, I, um, man, I, I have felt um, all morning this morning, like the father said, that there's gonna be babies born to this house that doctors said would be impossible and that there's gonna be children adopted into this house who had believed in their heart that it'd be impossible for them to ever find a family. That, that by this time next year, there's gonna be babies that, that are medical impossibilities and there's gonna be babies whose hearts and whose lives were fractured beyond uh, comprehension who have found a home in this, in this place. And so uh, if you've been asking God for a sign to adopt a child, this is it. Amen. Come on, if you've been asking God for a sign to adopt a child, this is that sign. This the Lord said, Pastor Maddie, make sure they hear this. If you've been waiting for God to say, now is the time for you to adopt that child. Now is the time for you to adopt that child. All right? Amen. If, you've, if you uh, have been trying and uh, uh, it hasn't been working for you, I want to tell you, keep trying. You're welcome. <laughs> and, and the child that's going to be born to you is going to be the perfect child. Exactly the child that God has designed for the two of you. So if you've been trying, friend, keep trying. It's gonna be fun. And what comes, what comes from the devotion and, and the, the commitment of your relationship one to another is going to be uh, the perfect fruit of, of the covenantal union that you have with your spouse. Now in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent by God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. The virgin's name was Mary. And having come in, the angel said to her, Rejoice, highly favored one. The Lord is with you. Blessed are you among women. Uh, blessed means blessed, happy, to be envied. It's good, yeah. Blessed are you among women. And when she saw him, she was troubled at his saying and considered what manner of greeting this was. And the angel said to her, do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bring forth a son and shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the son of the highest and the Lord God will give him the throne of his father, David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom, there will be no end. Then Mary said to the angel, how can this be since I do not know a man? And the angel answered and said to her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the highest will overshadow you. Therefore also the Holy One, that Holy One who is to be born will be called the Son of God. Now indeed, Elizabeth, that now indeed Elizabeth, your relative, has also conceived a son in her old age. And this is now the sixth month for her who is called barren. For with God, Nothing will be impossible. Then Mary said, Behold, the maidservant of the Lord, let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. Now, there's a couple things I want to point out to you. I, I love this greeting that, uh, that the angel would say to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you found favor with God. See, there's, I, I, think, I think one of the uh, things that has maybe surprised me the most about pastoring people has been how afraid people are of the favor of God in their life. That, that God wants to favor people and they say, no, thank you. I don't want the responsibility. I don't want the, uh, the pressure. Uh, I don't want the attention. I'm afraid of being seen. And so, no, I'd, I'd rather not. 
uh, receive the favor that you have to give me. And it, it, you feel like, oh no, that would never, I would never do that. It's like, I counsel you guys, way more of you do this than you would imagine. Some of you may not even realize that you do it. I'll tell you next time we meet together. See, God loves you and he wants to show you off. God loves you and he wants to show you off. The problem with being shown off is that you can't do it in secret. So that means God's gonna have to set you apart from other people. He's gonna have to distinguish you from your coworkers, from your friends, from your family. He's gonna set you apart for his glory and far too many of us are afraid of that prospect. And so this is why the angel comes and says, Mary, don't be afraid, you found favor with God. He says, behold, in verse 31, behold, you will conceive in your womb and bring forth a son and you shall, and shall call his name Jesus. And I, I love that uh, the angel tells her to, to call his name Yeshua or salvation because with this comes an identity that, is, uh, um, that will stand forever. In fact, in, in Matthew 21, in the same story, it says she will bring forth, a, sorry, in Matthew chapter one, verse 21, says, and she will bring forth a son and you shall call his name Jesus for he will save his people from their sins. And so with the name, there's a, an identity. With, with the name, there's a, an assignment. With the name, there comes a purpose or a mission. His name is salvation. You're gonna conceive in your womb and bring forth a son and shall be called and, and shall call his name Yeshua. Verse 32 says, he will be great and will be called the son of the highest and the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever and of his kingdom there will be no end. If you have ever had a conversation with me or set foot inside my church, you know I can't read that verse and not stop to talk about it for a while. This is the promise that Yahweh makes to Mary. Of his kingdom, there will be no end. Jesus begins his public ministry saying, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. So he, he, he has established this kingdom, even during his time on earth. He inaugurates the kingdom at the cross. He dismantles every counter kingdom that might try to arise against him. There on the cross, he buries it in the ground once and for all and he comes out with the keys to death, hell, and the grave. He ascends to the right hand of the Father and today he lives to make intercession for us, the scripture says. And of his kingdom, there will be no end. And yet somehow, from all of that, we have believed that the kingdom of hell is in charge of the world and that the world is gonna get darker and darker and more full of evil and wickedness until finally it just gets so wretched and depraved that at the very last minute, God saves out a little remnant of people and he destroys the world and he takes us all away to paradise forever. Of his kingdom, there will be no end. There is no diminishing of his kingdom. He's not losing ground. Jesus has never lost the battle so he could win the war. Jesus doesn't lose anything. He makes no compromises with darkness. He makes no concessions to, to hell. And, and any teaching that tells you otherwise is a doctrine of devils that you should avoid with all of your mind. Jesus always wins. Even on the cross. And of his kingdom, there will be no end. We not just can, we must build our lives on that truth. Of his kingdom, there will be no end. What he is establishing here will never cease. And we can build our futures on the reality that his kingdom, the culture of his kingdom is going to perpetually increase always and forever. He will reign over the house of Jacob forever and of his kingdom there will be no end. Then Mary said to the angel, 
Mary said to the angel, how can this be since I do not know a man? And the angel answered and said to her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the highest will overshadow you. Therefore also the Holy One who is to be born will be called the Son of God. Now, Mary asks a question that I think all of us ask God from time to time. We hear God's promise and we hear God's plan and then we ask the question, it's, it's a one word, three letters. We ask the question, how? Yeah, that's a good question, right? Because maybe you say, sure, that sounds, that sounds cool, right? It's like Moses at the burning bush. God said, I'm gonna deliver my people from captivity in Egypt. And Moses said, that sounds great. And then he said, you're gonna deliver my people from captivity in Egypt, Moses. And, uh, and suddenly Moses thought, oh, oh, hang on just a minute, you know? I didn't know about that, right? And so Mary has the, uh, the shrewdness, I think, the foresight to say, all right, what all does this entail, you know? It sounds great. I, I mean, I'm in. You've got my yes, but I, I need to know how we're gonna do this because this seems like kind of a big deal. And God's answer is really beautiful. You know, she asks the question, you know, how, how, can this, how can this be? And the angel answered in verse 35, the angel answered and said to her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you. The power of the highest will overshadow you. He says this, I'm gonna do it. God says, Mary, I'll handle the heavy lifting. I'll be the responsible party. See, I I think so often that we hear the promises of God and we think, okay, how can I make that happen? I've got bad news for you, friend. You can't. Your job is to rest in the sufficiency of God to produce in you what only God can produce in you. You know, I remember years ago, uh, counseling a young man, he was struggling with uh, looking at inappropriate things on, online, uh, you know, pornography and things like this. He, he had a, a, a young wife and, uh, and they had a, a baby together. He just was really struggling with this. And so he, he told me really proudly, he called me and, and he said, hey, you know what? I, I came up with a plan. I'm gonna get free from this thing. So I've got a friend He's my accountability partner. And, you know, if I, if I look at any uh, inappropriate, you know, Instagram profiles with scantily clad women on them, you know, I, I have to give him $100. If I look at any pornography, I have to give him $500. That's, he's, comes up with this, he's come up with this great plan to, like, discipline himself to be able to, uh, um, to walk in purity. And I, I said, so your family doesn't have enough money for you to be giving away $500 every time you stumble, right? And he's like, well, I know, you know, I gotta, I gotta make this happen. And I, and I said, I wanna submit to you this idea. What if there is no plan B for the blood of Jesus? Because I, I could see you coming up with this noble plan and the purity of your heart and you just wanna honor the Lord with, with your eyes and with your time and I think that's wonderful. But uh, I could see you just looking at your bank account and thinking, yeah, we can't afford for me to be accountable this month. I'm gonna have to just lie. See, what if the blood of Jesus really is enough to break the chains of sin, addiction, depravity, and bondage in our life? What if there really is no plan B for the blood of Christ? What if when we stumble and fall, we come back again to the cross and we say, Jesus, cover me in your blood? transform me. Jesus, crucify everything carnal in me and make me like you. See, we make this thing so complicated. We got software on our phones and books that we read and, you know, quotes that we recite and and we put together this whole network of, this whole network of people who are supposed to constantly be looking over our shoulder and making sure that we're doing the right thing. But but nobody's going to be able to look into your heart and, and expose and uproot that thing in you that still wants the things that dishonor the Lord like the Lord can. And so, and so what, I, uh, what I, I, I want us to understand about our yes to the Lord is that there, 
that there has got to be an unconditional, preemptive yes to whatever he's called us to do and a willingness to say, God, if you don't do it, it won't get done. This is, for me as a leader, for me as a man, for me as a dreamer and a builder, it's really easy for me to say, I'll come up with a plan. God, you want me to be free from lust? Say no more, I'll figure it out myself. You want me to build a church? Great, God, you sit on the sideline and I'm gonna build a church that'll be impressive to you. See, this is, I don't know if anybody can relate to this. This, is, this has always been my primary struggle. God has made me creative and confident enough that, that I feel like what God calls me to do, I could do on my own. And there's, Lord knows there's a few things that have humbled me, like pastoring and parenthood, you know, that you just, you realize it's, it's bigger than you can handle. And so it brings you back again and again and again to your need for help. I think it's important for us to do things that are so big that it brings us again and again and again to our need for help. If you feel like you can do what you do in life without God's help, what you're doing isn't big enough. You should be dreaming bigger. If you're not intimidated by the things God has set before you, then you probably have not begun to explore the things God has set before you. And so Mary... Intimidated, she asks the question, how? And the angel says, the Holy Spirit will come upon you. The power of the highest will overshadow you. Therefore also, the Holy One who is to be born will be called the Son of God. And then, in the same breath, the angel continues in verse 36 and says, now indeed, Elizabeth, your relative, has also conceived a son in her old age, and this is now the sixth month for her who was called barren. Amen. I love that that last phrase is in past tense. <laughs> this is now the sixth month for her who was called barren. The Lord is gonna open up barren wombs here. There are gonna be children born that, that doctors, like I said earlier, there will be children born to this house that doctors said would be impossible to the glory of God. There's gonna be a lot of women who were called barren in this, in this house. A lot of mothers next year Come on. Thank you, Lord. I even send the word through the podcast that there's people listening who are dealing with the trauma of maybe miscarriage after miscarriage or struggling to, to get pregnant. And, um, and I just declare in, in Jesus' name that he can heal what needs to be healed, that he can set in order what needs to be set in order, and that he can bring the capacity for multiplication for his glory and for your good. And so, uh, I, and I love, so I, I, I want you to, to I wanna make sure that you are hearing this. So Mary asks how, and then the next two verses, the angel answers it. He says this, the Holy Spirit will come upon you. That is, God's gonna be with you. God's gonna do the heavy lifting. And then the very next verse is, uh, also, Elizabeth is pregnant. <laughs> and I, I, love, I love the angel's approach to this. Like, this is the message of the Lord. Mary, she's intimidated feeling a little bit overwhelmed, feeling a little bit under-equipped for this. And she says, how can this be? And essentially the answer is, I'm gonna do it and you don't have to do it alone. I will accomplish it. And as you step into it, you will not be alone. Friends, I want you to hear this. In, in the times of greatest challenge, we find the grace for greatest connection. In the times of greatest challenge, we find the grace for greatest connection. And this is, this is true. Anyone who's been through boot camp will tell you the guys they suffered and vomited and bled and, you know, and ran and struggled with, like those guys are brothers forever. When you suffer with people, it knits you together. And so at the times when we face the greatest challenges, those are the times when we also discover the grace for greatest connection. Mary finds courage in the knowledge that she will have Elizabeth to walk with through this difficult season. Mary is imagining, I'm sure, what's ahead for her. Mary's gonna have to tell her neighbors and her friends and her family members that she's pregnant before she and Joseph got married. That is scandalous. She's gonna lose friends over this. She's certainly gonna lose her reputation over this. This is gonna be a costly yes for her. 
And God says, not only am I going to be the one to accomplish the impossible here, but also when you say yes to it, you're going to find family who will come around you and rejoice in what I'm doing in your life. See, I think this is such a glorious reality that um, I think many of us have said yes in a way that has cost us friends and family members. I know I have. I think many of us have walked a path that has been confusing or difficult or costly for some. Many of us have, have given a, a radical, relentless yes to the call of the Lord and, and people didn't understand it. People were offended by it. They were confused by it. They were, you, know, you had Christians in your ear saying, listen, you don't have to do all that. You've got to move to Tennessee to join some church. There's churches here. That's relatable to some of you, yeah. And so your yes to the, the assignment of the Lord has been costly. But I want you to know that God, he saw the cost before you did. Six months earlier, the Lord supernaturally opened the womb of Elizabeth just so that Mary wouldn't have to walk through this season alone. Is this good news? Friend, I want you to know that God's answer for the scary path he's called you to walk is family. He's put people around you. He's put people ahead of you on the path who can tell you what to expect, who can put their arm around you, who are gonna rejoice when you walk into the room. People whose hearts are gonna be full of love and pride and excitement and devotion for you. That's, if I, I wanna make sure you're reading between the lines adequately here, that's what the church is. That's what the church, I should say this, that's what the church is supposed to be. That when you say yes to the call of God, he should be able to entrust you to the people sitting next to you to rejoice in his favor on your life. It may not look like favor to people who don't have eyes to see. It may look like scandal to some. But my prayer is that we would be the kind of people who see favor where others see scandal. Amen? And so uh, in this time of Great challenge. Mary finds grace for great connection with Elizabeth, with Zechariah, and with their little baby boy, John. And uh, Mary finds courage in the knowledge that she will have Elizabeth to walk with through this difficult season. I'm telling you, pastoring would be nearly impossible if I didn't have all of you to do it with. I mean... I literally couldn't pastor an empty room, right? <laughs> but, I'm all, but I'm also so grateful for the, for the fact that we have the encouragement and the support and the edification of, of each other, that I, I'm so inspired by the way that you guys hear the Lord. I'm inspired by the way you worship. I'm inspired by the pictures that your kids draw, the way that they dance in the presence of the Lord. It, it's like every time that I start to lose sight of what makes it all worth it, I come in here and I watch you know, Emmy Golick just spin around with her little headband on and it's like, you know, oh, that's why, you know, that, that makes it all worth it, man. It's beautiful. And, uh, and so what a, a great gift it is to me. And I, I know I can speak for the rest of the staff when I say what a great gift it is for all of us to know that, that God called us to this thing. Maybe people close to us didn't understand, but I'm thankful that when we said yes, we found family that would rejoice in God's favor and blessing on our life. Amen. Amen. And, uh, and so I, I want to continue going here. It says, uh, it's now indeed, in, in verse 36, now indeed Elizabeth, your relative, has also conceived a son in her old age, and this is now the sixth month for her who was called barren. For with God, nothing will be impossible. Everybody say, with God, nothing will be impossible. Friends, with God, nothing will be impossible. Let's be a people that don't just read this and talk about it on Sundays. We need to be a people who live like this is true because this is true. With God, nothing will be impossible. Verse 38 says this. Then Mary said, behold, the maidservant of the Lord, let it be to me according to your word. Whoa. Man, what a radical statement for a young girl, an, uh, presumably an, an uneducated and insignificant young girl from the Near East 2,000 years ago to say, behold, 
the maidservant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. Her resounding yes has reshaped history for all of us. All of history. The entire human story is different because of those words. Behold, the maidservant of the Lord, let it be to me according to your word. Her radical yes has made the impossible possible for all of us. And what a great gift it is. What a great gift it is to all of us. Now, I I wanna point out something to you in this verse that I think might be easy to overlook that is so sacred and, and so beautiful. In verse 38, she says, behold, the maidservant of the Lord. That word there she uses for maidservant, it's a Greek word. The word is doulos. Um, it's where we get the word doula. If you don't know what a doula is, a doula is somebody that uh, um, assists in childbirth. It's a word that we still use commonly today. And so this is Mary's perspective. What she says Back to this invitation. You're going to conceive a child. The Spirit of God is going to come upon you. You're going to conceive a child and you're going to give birth to the Son of God. Call him salvation because he's going to save the world from their sins. And her response is, behold, the doula of the Lord. I'm going to be the one. I'm going to be the one that gets to help usher into the world the dream of God. See, this is what we see in the ministry of of motherhood is is a a, a people willing to say yes to suffering and sorrow in the present because they know it's gonna bring glory and hope to the future. And uh, there's too many people in my generation that say, well, I'm not gonna have kids. You know, the world is a, a, a dark place. It's a an ugly place, and I just, I don't want to subject my kids to that kind of suffering. It's like, your kids might be the answer for the suffering of the world. Like, your, your children might be the bright spots in, in an otherwise dark future. We need them, man. And, and for us, For us who've been entrusted with with the, the message or the manifestation of the kingdom in our generation, we are in, in many ways like Mary. We're the, the doulas of the Lord, the ones who've been called to assist in the delivery of hope for the next generation and a brighter future for those yet to come. What a sacred thing. What a sacred thing it is for Mary to call herself the the doula of the Lord. She would say, God, it's your child. I'm merely assisting in his delivery. And Mary, who stands, I think, for all time really as sort of archetypal mother, we see the power and potential of, of a mother's yes. There was nothing mystical or magical about Mary, as I said earlier. She was insignificant, uneducated, and unimpressive in every way. And that, in many ways, is precisely the point. What made Mary special in her day is what makes mothers special today. And that is her resounding yes to the long, hard an often uncertain road of motherhood. It is the giving of oneself fully to the destiny of another generation and the unwavering determination to serve the dream of God. This is motherhood. It is the giving of oneself fully to the destiny of another generation. One thing, a friend of our ministry, Damon Thompson, one thing he said through the years is that People have, have, uh, have traded, gosh, how does he say it? People have traded uh, a generational destiny for, for personal um, prosperity. They've, their willingness, their, their fixation on their own personal destiny has been to the detriment 
of the next generation's inheritance. We've traded, the way he says it is, we've traded generational legacy for personal destiny. And so many of us are so eager to build our own empire that we sacrifice the next generation in the pursuit of it. And, uh, and so what we see in this sacred ministry of motherhood is the giving of oneself fully to the destiny of another generation and the unwavering determination to serve the dream of God. And it, listen, it's easy for me to stand on a stage and say that we ought to have an unwavering determination to serve the dream of God, but the reality when you look a little bit closer is that sometimes serving the dream of God looks like changing diapers. Right, it doesn't, see the, the issue is all of us would say, you know, if someone said, do you wanna serve the dream of God? It's like, sign me up, man, that sounds very important. Right, but sometimes serving the dream of God looks like picking up those little crusty boy socks, you know, from the middle of the living room floor again and throwing them in a hamper and washing them and how did we get, it's been three days since I did laundry last time. I don't know how we got 16 pairs of socks dirty. <laughs> right, cleaning mashed potatoes off the ceiling again. Sometimes serving the dream of God doesn't look sacred it doesn't look important. Sometimes you don't get seen or celebrated or applauded or admired. But there is no denying that the, the commission God has given to mothers is a sacred one. To build and keep a home to be the, the anchor for, for a family, to be the, uh, the manifestation of God's heart for unity, for security, and for peace. C.S. Lewis talked about homemakers, and I know there's many moms here that work outside of the home. The truth is that doesn't make you not a homemaker. It just means you have two full-time Assignments, right? C.S. Lewis talked about homemakers and he said, uh, a homemaker is, is the ultimate career, is the way that he said it. And he said, in, in fact, it is so significant that every other career exists for only one reason, and that is to serve the ultimate career. That is to serve the homemaker. And it's true. Every industry only exists to serve the homemaker. Every other job, every other assignment, every graphic designer, every fireman, every doctor or nurse, every teacher, every construction worker, every other career in every other industry exists for one reason only, and that is to serve the homemaker. And, uh, and so I want to leave you with this. I'm, I'm closing. I want to leave you with this idea. That Mary, not only did she say, Yes, to the Lord. Behold, the maidservant, the doula of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. But she then, uh, later in that same chapter, she, she begins to contemplate these things in her heart and out of her spirit comes what, <clears throat> what the Catholics call Mary's Magnificat, starting in verse 46 of Luke chapter one. It says, and Mary said, my soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit has rejoiced in God my Savior. For he has regarded the lowly state of his maidservant. For behold, henceforth all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. And his mercy is on those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the imagination of their hearts. He has put down the mighty from their thrones and exalted the lowly. He has filled the hungry with good things and the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his seed forever. Friends, I want you to understand that Mary, now and forever, stands as uh, as an example of a heart that is willing to humbly say yes to God.
without regard to what it might do to our body, what it might do to our bank account, what it might do to our reputation or social status. Her willingness to say yes, as Pastor Zach said so profoundly earlier that Jesus says, this is my body broken for you. When he, uh, uh, when he has his, his disciples gathered at the Last Supper. And I don't know that there's any more profound demonstration of that than for a woman to be torn apart as she's bringing her child into existence. And not only that, but then to, out of her own being, to sustain the life of that child, to support and advocate for, to bless and esteem and, and rightly value that child as she continually, relentlessly, faithfully serves, not who that child is, but who that child will be. Not just for her own sake and not even just for the child's sake, but for the sake of the world, that child has been called to touch. So to those of you who are mothers, I honor you. What an incredible, special and sacred ministry the Lord has given you. Thank you for holding our future in your hands and for dreaming heaven's dream for the next generation. And those of you who are not mothers, what a great privilege we have to come around them, to lift their arms and to cheer them on as they hold our future in their hands every day. Amen. Lord, we thank you for the ministry of Mary. Thank you for her resounding yes to you. and Thank you for the privilege that it is to learn, uh, to learn from her what you require of, of all of us, that we would consistently lay down our lives, consistently deny ourselves to see the, the dream of heaven released into the earth. Lord, I thank you for the incredible um, women who've said yes to, um, to the call and commission of motherhood in this house, Lord. I pray that, that they today, if, if on no other day, that they would know that they are seen and celebrated. God, that they would feel the affirmation of heaven um, in this room today, Lord. Would you surround them with, uh, with voices that would, agree, that would come into agreement with, with your heart over them, that would cheer them on, that would partner, God, with, with the value that you've placed on their life and, and their ministry. God, we thank you for the next generation. The, the children that you've brought into this house are phenomenal, unbelievable kids. And, and God, we thank you for the privilege that it is to support them. And uh, Lord, we thank you that we can say with confidence that our future is in good hands. Lord, we bless you. We thank you that, uh, that during times when things are uncertain or scary, when we feel overwhelmed, thank you that in those times, Lord, that you, you bring us into family, just like you did with Mary. God, thank you for brothers and sisters, mothers and fathers that rejoice in your favor and who don't shy away from the scandal that your favor might create. Lord, thank you for this day when we get to take time to honor and, and rightly esteem uh, mothers for their incredible ministry, not just to this house, but to this generation. Lord, we pray that you would bless the mothers of this house with honor with joy, and with rest. In Jesus' name, amen. Y'all, we love you. Thank you so much for being here. Uh, one more time, would you join me in honoring the mothers of this house? And we believe in you. We're so grateful for you. Um, uh, husbands, fathers, let me give you a tip. Um, let her nap if she wants to nap today, all right? In Jesus' name, that's right. Hey, love you guys. We will see you back here uh, Wednesday night at uh, 6.30 and um, next Sunday at 10. Thank you very much. Oh, God, stop. Everybody stop. Shelly Span, come here. Uh, sit back down. All right. Speaking of mothers, if, uh, if you have not been... Hugged by Shelly, this must be your first time at church. <laughs> Come on. Uh, we uh, have been so blessed to have Shelly with us for uh, 14 years now, feels like. 
um, since the very beginning. She came and, and sat in the church when it was in our living room. And um, God has used Shelly to be uh, his hands and feet in more ways than we can imagine. And the next step for her, she's going to Brazil, not for long. We're not losing Shelly. We'd be lost if we did. But uh, um, she's going to Brazil for, for a couple weeks. Uh, you leave today, tomorrow? Tomorrow morning. Tomorrow morning, she's leaving to go to Brazil and, um, and, and to carry with her the sound of the kingdom and the sound of this house. And so before she goes, we are gonna lift Shelly up in prayer and make sure that she knows that we are behind her all the way. Is that all right? Come on, if Shelly's blessed your life, stand up and stretch your hands toward her. Ian and Chris, you guys come on around. And uh, Zach and Mandy, y'all come up too. Lord, thank you for Shelly. God, thank you for the, the fire and the, the faithfulness that you've put on her. Lord, thank you um, for the, the blessing and, and the inspiration that she is to this house. God, we thank you that you have put your word um, on, on her tongue and you've put your fire in her heart. And we, we declare that you will go before her, Lord, that you'll open doors um, supernaturally there in Brazil, God, that every word she speaks would land on a hungry heart, that it would land on soil that's been prepared to receive the seed that you've give her, given her to deposit into that land. We declare over her that she is undergirded, that she's covered, that she's commissioned, that she's not just going, but she's being sent with the, the full agreement in faith of every member of this house, that she doesn't just represent herself. She doesn't just represent the organization she's going with, but she represents all of us. She carries with us our hope, our faith, our agreement, and our prayer. Um, in Jesus' name, God, we declare that, that uh, her sails will be full of the wind of the Spirit everywhere that she goes, and she'll be able to feel our support and agreement every step of the way. In Jesus' name, amen. Come on. Shelly, we cannot wait to hear the testimonies of all that the Lord does. Come on. Praise God. So good. Y'all, blessings to you guys. Make sure that you give Shelly some love before you leave. Uh, we will see you Wednesday night at 6.30 or next Sunday at 10. Thank you very much. Thank you for tuning in to this service from the Altar Fellowship. We pray that you were impacted powerfully by this message. If you have been personally affected by our ministry and you would like to partner with the Altar as we work to establish the Kingdom of Heaven, please visit our website at www.thealtar.org.